Amen. Southcrest, good morning again. Um, if you didn't hear earlier, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm the campus pastor here at Southcrest. Arthur Mace, our uh, lead pastor, is down in the Grange preaching live uh, at our second campus, and so we're super pumped for that. I know the Grange is uh, getting a treat there, and so today you're stuck with me. I'm really sorry, uh, but it'll be okay, I promise, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do want to uh, stop and give honor to whom honor is due. Um, man, Arthur is doing a phenomenal job, y'all, and it is a privilege, yes. We're, it's just, it's a privilege to serve with him uh, on staff. It's a privilege to have him as our pastor. Uh, the way he loves the Lord is contagious. The way he loves his family and the church, man, it's just cool. And we are so excited about what the Lord has for us just around the corner and beyond and, and what the Lord has planned for us. And so uh, today we are in the middle of our sermon series called Worship Changes Everything. And I really hope you believe that today. I really hope that you, that, that you believe that when you align your life under the Lord and you choose to worship Him, that it literally will change you. It changes everything. It's true, and I've loved this sermon series so far. I've learned a lot myself. Today, we're going to talk about worship as communion, or communion is worship. It's what we're going to do here in just a few moments together, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And so, you know, today we're going to be talking about the power of remembering, and I began to think as I was writing this message um, why we have memorials and why we have museums and stuff, and it's because we want to remember, right? I can, I can recall going to uh, Philadelphia and going to Independence Hall. Anybody ever been to Independence Hall? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, if you've forgotten your elementary school education, which I often do, and by the way, my kids come in to me all the time and they ask me questions like, Dad, what, what happened at the Independence Hall? If I don't know the answer, I punish them and I send them to their room. It's like, don't ask me a question. I don't know. Okay, so get out. No, um, Anyway, uh, Independence Hall is where they signed the Declaration of Independence, right? It's where they drafted, signed, and adopted uh, the, the document that is why we are celebrating and why we have freedom today. It's incredible to think about. So we got to go into the governor council chambers, and we got to see the large gallery rooms. Amazing place. We got to go into the assembly room as well. That's where they, uh, the furniture is still there. Um, George Washington's sunrise armchair is still there, the very seat George Washington sat in as they were writing this thing and debating and talking about freedom and liberty and all this stuff. It's amazing. It's incredible. I was waiting for Nicolas Cage to jump out of a window at any moment. So anyway, I think they should do some body doubles and that should just be a part of it, right? The tour and all of a sudden Nicolas Cage jumps out the window. It's going to be awesome, you know, make it a lot cooler. But Liberty Bell is there. Uh, what an iconic piece of uh, American history that, that represents our liberty. And we have these places all across America and the world, so we don't forget. That's why we have memorials, right? Because so oftentimes, we remember the things we should forget, right? And we forget the things that we should remember. Let me ask you this question. How good is your memory? How good is your memory? You know, do you have a photographic memory where, you know, pretty much you could see it one time and it's just there? Or are you the type of person where you forget your login password to about just about everything that's online? Anybody? Yeah, we got a couple of hands up. I read this thing, and this is, this is such a brilliant idea. They, they say you should change your password to the word incorrect. It should be your password because when you type it in and it's wrong, the computer tells you, hey, your password is incorrect. There you go. Uh, 
Terrible joke, sorry. No, but really, remembering is something that we have to be intentional about. We have to exercise it. Like I said, it's why we have special days and why we have anniversaries. Hopefully we remember those. Or birthdays, or Easter, or Christmas. It's so we can remember these really uh, important days, like National Donut Day. You should eat donuts on that day. It's important. And the point of all this is, is this. When we remember, we, pull the, we, we basically take the power of the past... And you bring it into the, into the present. When you remember, you're bringing the power of the past and bringing it into the present. Think about this for just a moment. And then we're going to jump into Luke 22. Think about the most embarrassing moment of your life, right? All of us have them, right? Something we said at work, something we should have I don't know, walking out of the bathroom with toilet paper on your foot in front of a meeting or something like that. Whatever it is. Remember and recall the most embarrassing moment of your life right now. And if you're doing that, there's a large uh, possibility that you even feel those feelings that you felt in that moment right now, right? That's bringing the power of the past into the present, right? Or a tragic moment, right? Every September, we have this hashtag that goes around, hashtag never forget. It's so we remember 9-11. And a lot of us can recall, if we think about it and remember where we were, we can probably point out exactly where we were and how we were even feeling in that very moment, right? The shock and the awe. Or a joyous moment, right? Anybody remember their, their wedding day? Everybody recall their wedding day right now. Think about that. Um, you know, pretty amazing moment, right? Pretty cool. Or the first time you kissed your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse, right? That was an amazing moment. I remember the first time I kissed Kathy. It was in the back of her mom's car. It was amazing, y'all. It was great. I'm sorry, Karen, but it's what happened. It was 20-something years ago, so anyway... But I, I mean, it's truth. I'm just telling you the truth. But we bring the power of the past into the present, right? It was incredible, right? Um, so turn with me to Luke 22. We're going to jump into some scripture here. What I want to point out to you today is that our life largely is determined by what we choose to remember and by what we come to forget. I love that statement. Because if you think about it like this, if you choose to remember the sin of your life, every time you've screwed up, uh, the condemnation and all this stuff, if you just remember all this stuff, I've blown it here, 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 your life will be largely determined and the trajectory of your life will take a different route than what you are hoping that it would, that it would take. And then the opposite is true. If you choose to forget those things, Remember God's forgiveness. Think about the good things. Learn from your mistakes and, and think about happy stuff and, and the power of positive thinking, so to speak. Your life will take a different trajectory. It's so true. And so as Christians, we are called to remember what the Lord has done for us. That's the point of communion. So let's read Luke 22. We're going to start in verse 7. This is Jesus. He's three years into his ministry. And uh, we know because we, we can read the book, he's about to go to the cross. But just before he goes to the cross, he's hanging out with his disciples and they're having a meal. Okay. It's called the last supper. So let's read this. It says, starting in verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying the jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and say to the owners of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Kind of cool, right? It's pretty powerful. So they prepared the Passover. And then the hour came. He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's talking about the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not uh, drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they uh, had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so what we see here, if you'll allow me to kind of give a little bit of a backstory, uh, just for a few moments to why we celebrate communion the way we do today, it comes largely from this Last Supper. And if you will, Jesus was celebrating a moment, uh, a ritual, so to speak, that, that dated back more than like a thousand years ago, okay, the Passover. And if you will, I'll, I'll kind of give a background to this, but if you were a, a male and you were Jewish and you were over the age of 12, you were required to travel to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover, okay? That's what you had to do. And then after that meal, that evening, there was seven days of another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so every male had to do it no matter what. And uh, it was a part of the three pilgrimage feasts. And uh, it was just a part of their culture. It's what they did. So uh, for those of you that don't know what the Passover is, the Passover is a commemoration of the liberty that God gave the people of Israel when they were enslaved to Pharaoh, if you remember. Right? Long time ago, that's, that's what was going on. So the Passover is kind of like our 4th of July, where we get together and we blow things up and we eat some food and we celebrate our independence. That's kind of like the Passover, Right? The Israelites were enslaved to, to the Egyptians for like 430 years, a long time. And so if you remember the story, God raised up Moses. Moses shows up to Pharaoh and says, yo, let my people go. It's what God said, or else he's going to rain some, some serious fire down on you. And so Pharaoh, we know, he hardens his heart and says, no, I'm not going to do it. So what happens, right? The 10 plagues come. And so, uh, you know, God gives him all these opportunities to change his mind. So the first plague was like, I think, um, water in the blood. And then there's like frogs and locusts and boils on your skin and on and on and on. And all these opportunities to change his mind. And he never did. He hardened his heart. And so the final, the 10th plague was pretty heavy and very, very serious. That's where God came through the land and he killed every firstborn son and every firstborn animal. So what does Moses do? Moses steps up and he says, okay, Israelites, huddle up. Here we go. Um, here's what God's going to do. And so the way you protect yourself is you slaughter a lamb, you eat that lamb, and then you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost of your house. That way when God comes and he comes to your home and he sees that, he's going to know that you are covered. He's going to know that you are protected by the blood of the Lamb. So turn with me really quick to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, or you can follow along. I believe it's going to be on the screens as well. Um, I want to uh, just read this briefly for context. Starting in verse number one, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be uh, for you the first month of the first 
the first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be uh, year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Then all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they are to eat the lamb. Just what I was saying. Now, skip down to verse number 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you uh, when I strike Egypt. And this day you are to commemorate for, uh, for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Okay, so fast forward like a thousand years into Luke 22. That's what Jesus was doing right there. They were commemorating and celebrating this moment in history. It's incredible, okay? All of Israelites did that. Liberation from slavery, that's their party. That's their remembrance moment. And, and they were pointing out the fact that the blood of the lamb protected them, right? So catch this parallel. It's so cool. Jesus is sitting there and he's saying, man, I couldn't wait to eat this meal with you guys. I couldn't wait. But here's the catch. Every time you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. What he is saying in that moment is that he's about to go to the cross. He's the perfect lamb of God and he's going to die and his blood is going to be shed for our sins and not just covering those sins, but eliminating those sins for the entire world forever. How amazing is that? It's incredible. It's like the Passover all those years ago was a look forward to the cross and the cross is essentially fulfillment and a look back to the Passover, it's an unbelievable moment. I kind of wish I was a fly on the wall, just kind of checking that out, like, look at this, this is going down. How many of you guys in here are thankful for the blood of Jesus that covers your sins, y'all? How many of y'all in here are thankful for that? It's amazing. In light of what he's done, we're going to worship him, and we're going to take communion as worship here in just a moment, all right? So turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. I want to give us three action steps, and then we'll kind of move into a moment of prayer here for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul's account of the Last Supper. There are three things that we should do as Christians when it comes to communion. And man, so often we as a church sometimes get this wrong. We, we rush through this moment, right? We've got to fit it in here and and we don't kind of slow it down. And so that's what I want to do today. I want us to slow this moment down. That was Arthur's heart, that we would just kind of take a moment and do this together. And those three things that we must do is this. Remember, proclaim, and anticipate. Those are the three things. When we take the Lord's Supper, that we should do before and after. All right? If you're taking notes, write those three things down. Remember, proclaim, and anticipate. All right, let's break this down. First Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So number one, we got to do this in remembrance of him. we got to remember what he has done. And this isn't just some little cute in memory of. What we're, what we're supposed to do is bring the power of the past, Jesus' actions on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, into the present and allow it to change us right now. Right? It's kind of like an actualized awareness of his presence in our life. That's what we're supposed to do. You see, the most important and powerful thing that God has ever done for the human existence is to send his son to forgive us of our sins and to die on the cross to eliminate those sins, right? It's the most important thing. And if you think about it, it goes to show you how serious, how serious my sin is, how serious your sin is that he had to send his son to die. It's a very, very big deal. And in our communion services, in just a moment, we have this ability to remember and pull that amazing moment into the present, bring it to mind and into our hearts and allow it to change us right here and right now. So what what are we supposed to remember? Here's what I want to do. I want to slow this moment down. If you want to close your eyes, you can, or you can just sit there. It's okay. I want us to remember Christ's suffering right now. I want you to call to mind, you know, the the words that we read in Scripture and the depictions that we have here. I want us to remember the scourging that he dealt with. They, They pulled his beard out of his face. They beat him until he was unrecognizable. They mocked him. They spit on him. They made a crown of thorns and smashed it onto his head. They nailed his hands, his wrists into the cross, and his feet into a cross, and he took a spear in the side for you and for me. He did all that for us, taking on the sins of not just you, but the entire world. And then his father turned his back upon him. And he did all of that for you and me. And we're to remember Christ's death and his love and his teachings and his mercy and his burial and his resurrection. And we're supposed to bring it into the present and allow it to change us right now. You see, in doing that, if you're doing that right now, what you're doing is you're elevating Christ in your heart and you're elevating Christ in your mind And what that's moving you to do, even in this very moment, is to worship him and to thank him. That's what worship is. That's what remembering is supposed to do. You see, worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done and is demonstrated by our actions and our words. Remember. Remember. Number two is to proclaim, right? First, we've got to remember, and then we proclaim. 1 Corinthians eleven 26. I've already read it, but uh, just for context again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? So we remember like his death, it, it buys us our redemption, it buys us our freedom and our salvation from sin. If remembering is calling to mind that and allowing it to affect us now, proclaiming is simply to tell somebody about it. This amazing gift that we have, we should be sharing that for somebody. It's a natural movement of worship. The preciousness of what Christ did, it changes our hearts, it changes our minds, and it moves us. It moves us to worship him. Moves us to take communion and remember, but it can't just stop right there. We must go and tell somebody. It's so very, very important. I promise. Listen, if you really value something and it's changed you so much, if you love it and and you cherish it, you're going to tell somebody about it. You'll speak of it, I promise. Lord's Supper truly is worship as long as there's an authentic heart change, a heart experience of saying, man, his death and his suffering that he, that he did for me, I'm so thankful for that. I'm not just going to remember it. I'm going to go tell somebody about it, right? Proclaim, that's number two. And then finally, number three is anticipate. That same verse, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? He's coming back for us, y'all. How incredible is that? He's not going to abandon us. Uh, John 14 Verse 3 says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you'll also be where I am. That's incredible, man. The God of the universe, the guy that spoke this thing into existence, who made you and me, died on the cross for your sins because you couldn't pay for it yourself. He died in your place and he left and he's preparing a place for us right now and he's going to come back and get us and we are to live in anticipation of him coming back. I was thinking about my kids. You know, oftentimes I come home and Kathy's like, boys couldn't wait for you to get home. They ask me like every five minutes, when's dad going to get here? When's dad going to get here? When's dad going to get here? And so when I come home from the office and I open the door and they're so excited to see me, I was just thinking about that. Like, do I, am I anticipating the Lord's coming like a child anticipates seeing their parents? Or am I like, nah, it'll happen when it happens, you know? Or or am I thinking about it and saying, God, come. God, would you save people? God, I need to proclaim this because you are coming, right? We worship him because he has not and he will not abandon us. He's proven his love for us, right? While we were still sinners, he died for us. And we need to live in anticipation of his return, right? So remember, proclaim, and anticipate, right? That's what we're to do as Christians, so in just a moment, we're going, to take up, we're going to take communion together. But before we do, I want us to begin to kind of examine our own hearts for a moment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says that we should prepare for communion just like we prepare to worship because communion is worship. So how do we do that? Just like I said before, we slow the moment down. We take our eyes off of ourselves. We begin to remember what he did. We begin to contemplate the infinite things that the Lord's done for us. We examine ourselves. In just a moment, I want you to ask yourself some questions like this. In what ways am I worshiping myself? In what ways have I taken my wants and my desires and elevated them above the Lord? Or another question to ask yourself, in what ways have I, am I worshiping others or things? And what have I placed on the throne of my heart that the Lord should be sitting at, right? Or what thing have I elevated in my life above the Lord and what he's done for us?
1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says this, for whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats, the drink, eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And so that's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to confess to the Lord because when we confess before the Lord, that leads to communion, right? When we confess our sin, that separates us from the Lord, drives a wedge in there that reestablishes unity with us and the Lord. It's it's amazing part of forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to us. But we have to be diligent to confess that to him, right? Dietrich also, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also says that the, the Lord's Supper communion should be a joyous moment for the Christian community because when we reestablish that connection, listen, we're taking a part of, of, of salvation and new life and heaven and, and all the many things that he gives to us, right? It's amazing. So before we do this, there's really two requirements. Two requirements to take communion. And number one is you gotta have a relationship with the Lord. You can't be in unity with somebody that you don't even know, right? You can't have communion with somebody that you don't even know who they are. And so whether you've been in, your, in church your entire life or this is your very first time in a, in a service, um, now's your chance. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you can't recall, hey, that's when I made it real, then you need to do that today before you take communion. 